Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. Oh, look at that. Kevin Crone just over again. <laughs> and again. And again. And, and again. And again. And again. Um, that'll be a theme of the early moments of this podcast as we welcome you in this episode number 222 of the show before the show. Evidently, this is a very metaphysical number. Apparently, if you if you Google 222, it's just what is the spiritual meaning of 222 over and over and over again. It's not like the, my typical Google search of our episode numbers where it's like, oh, this is a arithmetic you know, number. This is something from algebra. This is something that happened in 222 A.D. Uh, this is more like this is something very spiritual. Huh. Who knew? So undoubtedly, this episode will bring you all kinds of good fortune and uh and other modes of happiness as we say hi i'm tyler mon he's sam dykstra and uh we talk about minor league baseball every week and if you want to get in touch with the show you can podcast at milb.com uh and you can give us a rating and a review and a subscription wherever you find us on all of your favorite podcasting applications Nobody calls them that anymore. Is that not a thing? <laughs> yeah, this is People a podcast from 2007. People where don't we call don't them know applications. There's an application for that. Remember that catchy uh, catchphrase that Apple put out there? There's an application for that. I think that was, uh, <laughs> I think that was how it went. Um, so we'll get started on three strikes for this week's episode with uh, the first topic of the day today as we enter the final really three weeks of the minor league baseball regular season and uh kevin crone who continues to do nothing but obliterate baseballs in the pacific coast league last night three homers to set triple a reno's all-time home run record uh and a guy who has now belted like a thousand of them this season uh combined across his uh technically couple of levels he actually played uh a game in the azl the rookie level azl earlier this season and he homered there as well so he has 37 homers now in 69 games very nice season for Kevin Crone between two minor league levels um but his big night last night we're recording this on Wednesdays that was Tuesday the 13th he could have another three tonight who knows what he ends up at by the time we release this on Thursday um but we're getting down to this final stretch in the regular season which means that the Bauman home run award is uh set to be 
delegated to somebody. Whoever captures the crown with the most home runs of minor league baseball will uh, earn that distinction here in 2019. Kevin Crone has been doing impressive things uh, power-wise all year. And uh, Sam, what else is factoring into this race right now? That's a guy who's only played in 69 total minor league games this year. He's also played 27 in the big leagues this season. He's got 37 combined homers, but what are the odds right now and who's got the, the inside track for this? Yeah, Crone's numbers are insane, obviously, leading the entire minor leagues and in, in home runs at 37 is is nuts. But in the Pacific Coast League, he technically doesn't have enough plate appearances to qualify for the batting title. <laughs> like, what, it'd be one thing if I just said, like, oh, hey, that, you know, that'll happen. He split a season, whatever. No, the guy's hit 36 home runs in 68 games and doesn't have enough plate appearances to be like the OPS leader or whatever. And we'll get into that later. He might not even be the OPS leader. I'm not entirely sure if he had qualified. But the thing Kevin Crone has done better than any minor leaguer this year is hit dingers at an incredible rate. And yes, a lot of that is at AAA. AAA is playing with the Major League Ball this year. That's incredible. All these other guys at AAA are playing with the same ball Kevin Crone is. Nobody is utilizing it as well as he is. Um, so you, you asked me to kind of go through odds right now. He leads the entire minor leagues with 37 home runs. In second place is Seth Brown uh, with the Las Vegas Aviators. He's got 34. Kyle Tucker has 32. Jared Walsh, the Salt Lake Bees, has 30. Uh, Sam Hilliard of the Albuquerque Isotopes also has 30. And Mason Martin, Pittsburgh Pirates prospect number 19, split between Class A Greensboro and Class A Advanced Bradenton, also tied with Walsh and Hilliard with 30. That is fascinating to me that he has 30 home runs. I'll get into him in a second. Um, in terms of handicapping this race the rest of the way, since most of these guys are AAA players, uh, you know, there's always the potential of somebody getting called up. I mean, Kyle Tucker, this is his second year of destroying AAA pitching. You would hope he's going to get a look here the rest of the way. But the Astros may wait until his season is officially over uh, with Round Rock until they, they move him up. Um, Seth Brown, probably going to be sticking it out the rest of the way with Las Vegas. Uh, Jared Walsh has been up and down between L.A. and Salt Lake this year. He can also pitch. So, you know, the Angels haven't been afraid to bring him up when necessary. He could be going up. That could hurt his chances here, but I don't think he's going to complain about it. Sam Hilliard, I don't think Sam Hilliard's made his Rockies debut, right, Tyler? Correct. So he's probably somebody who's going to wait it out. One thing I want to highlight, though, is the schedule. Uh, If we look at... How you know where these guys are going to be playing the rest of the way? Uh, it's actually be really interesting. A lot of these guys are going to face each other in the PCL the, the rest of the way. Reno is going to Vegas, so then you've got Crone against Brown uh, from the 19th to the 21st. Salt Lake is going to Reno from the 22nd to the 25th, so that would be Walsh against Crone, and then Reno is going to Salt Lake again the same matchup to finish out the year August 30th to September 2nd. All three of those parks, Vegas, Reno, and Salt Lake are extremely hitter friendly, even for the PCL. That you would have to think is really going to help Kevin Crone. Um, some of these other ones, Vegas, Seth Brown is also traveling to Albuquerque. That could probably help him out. Uh, but the fact that Kevin Crone has a three homer lead right now, he's the runaway favorite. This is the fourth time in his career that he's had a three homer game when he did that on Tuesday. Uh, this is, it's the second time he's done it this year. He can turn it on almost at will with the power. Uh, he has been up in Arizona, as you mentioned, Tyler. I, I can't imagine they would take this away from him. Uh, also, just because the, it, he's a first base only DH type, 
playing for an NL organization. Going to be tough to get him playing time anyways. Let him go for this, see what happens. Uh, it would be really interesting. Pipeline did a story on this, and I don't want to take anything away from their content. Go out and, and read what they wrote. But Aristides Aquino is on this incredible run right now with the Cincinnati Reds setting home run records, you know, because of a change stance and all that. And they wrote this story on who could be the next one. I think Chrome, I don't think he could do what Aquino's doing by any measure. Literally, it's historic. Um, but I think with playing time, you know, he could be a 30 home run hitter in the major leagues. He just needs that playing time, whether that's going to be in 2019 or 2020. We'll have to see. We'll love to see an AL team go out and get him, give him a chance like Jordan Alvarez was getting, uh, or now has with the Astros because they're a DH league. They play in a DH league. Um, so Kevin Crone, what he's doing this year, absolutely incredible. What he's going for next, I would say, and I'm sure he's going to accomplish this, is since 2010, so this decade, uh, the most home runs hit in a season, in a minor league season, was Dylan Cousins hitting 40 in 2016. Uh, I don't think Kevin Crone's going to have that much difficulty beating that. But, you know, we have less than three weeks to go. Crazier things have happened. We'll have to see. Mason Martin, though, shout out to him again real quick. He's playing in the Florida State League, which is one of our more pitcher-friendly leagues, uh, trying to catch up to these guys going to be incredibly difficult he's hit seven home runs in the fsl since he got the bump from the sally league that's actually the most in the fsl since he got the call so you know that was i think early july so in about five weeks he's hit seven home runs and that's the most in that league it's really difficult to hit there he's kind of behind the eight ball as far as that goes but exciting for him that he's in this role without getting to play with a triple a ball without getting to play in some hitter friendly parks uh shout out to mason martin for even getting his name in this discussion strike two this week kind of continues along the same line um it's not just that we have single season uh individual homer marks being set but we also have a whole lot of other statistical races to keep tabs on the uh pacific coast league all-time home run mark is probably not under threat because back in the 1970s i believe the sacramento solons played at a field that had like 240 foot outfield fences not kidding uh josh jackson wrote a story over this past offseason which he talked about that a little bit but the modern era pca and pcl uh home run record under assault there are strikeout records as well uh for teams and for individuals um give us some other stats to keep an eye on and strike two in this uh these last few weeks of the season sam yeah one guy we didn't mention for the home run total because he he has 27 which in a normal year would be great but uh is ty france we've mentioned him a bunch of times on this podcast i feel like over the summer uh and yet it still feels like he's sneaking up on us because he got a major league look did not do well there got kicked back to el paso wasn't a big prospect for the Padres coming into the season anyways. So he's going to get overshadowed by Luis Arias and some of the other bigger names in that system, never mind just at El Paso. Um, but as of today, he's hitting 399 with El Paso. Last year this time, we were freaking out about Vlad Jr. potentially hitting 400. Uh, Ty France is right there. Uh, there, I think up until a couple of days ago, he was hitting as high as 403. Um, and again, playing with that ball and playing in those parks, it's, it's always going to be within the realm of possibility for him, uh, given only three weeks. Like to bet on somebody getting 400, uh, I would never say to do that. I, I, you know, you think the stats are going to come crashing down at some point. Things will even out. 400 is extremely difficult getting two hits in every five at bats. But this is who he's been all summer long is this kind of a elite hitter in the PCL, not as much power, but 
making it play every other way. Um, so that's something everybody should be keeping an eye on. One other one I have my eye on is the uh, is the hits race uh, in in overall minor league baseball. Um, as of the other day, or as of today when we were recording this, uh, Gavin Lux was leading minor league baseball with 147 hits. Uh, in second place was Xavier Edwards. And Xavier Edwards, another guy in that Padre system, Gavin Lux, having the season of his life, obviously, as he's pushing for the major leagues. It was 147 versus 146. Uh, so that's going to be really fascinating to see you know, who, how they can kind of hold each other off. I don't think it's a race necessarily we pay attention to, but Edwards being somebody who's clear hit tool, you know, that's where it's going to get him higher up the San Diego chain is he's going to get lots of hits. He's, he talked to me about it. He's going to use his plus plus, maybe even 80 grade speed, depending on who you talk to. Uh, he's going to get his bunts when he needs to. He's going to do whatever he can to get on base. Whereas Gavin Lux is just using elite bat speed. He had a homer the other day, uh, that looked like the ball was down around his waist and inside and he had his hands high up and they just went out and got it. He's going to get his extra base hits. He's going to get his home runs, but he's still going to get his hits as well. This isn't just an all out approach. Um, seeing those very two different types of offensive approaches go up against each other for a hits lead is, is really fascinating. Uh, one other one I want to throw out real quick that I find interesting is uh, Joe Ryan in the uh, Tampa Bay Rays system was leading minor league baseball in strikeout percentage at the time he moved up this week from uh, Class A advanced Charlotte to Double A Montgomery. Joe Ryan, not necessarily somebody who was on everybody's radar, especially in that Rays system. He wasn't even ranked coming into the year. He's currently at 37.2% for his strikeout rate. Uh, this is a, somebody who was a seventh round pick. He's very fastball heavy. Uh, the Rays have said we're trying to work around it and get him to work more on his slider and more on his curveball, more on his changeup. Uh, they feel like that's coming around, and the more he's able to do that, the more strikeouts he's been able to get. Uh, but his fastball just relies on deception. It sits in the low 90s now. That's a little bit of a bump up from where he was in college. Uh, and it, it's deceptive, and it also has a little bit of bite to it. So it's moving just at the end, and it's very difficult to pick up at the beginning, too, because of that deception. Uh, what happens to him and can he continue to lead you know, minor league baseball in strikeout percentage now that he's moved up to the Southern League will be really fascinating. Um, so those are just some of the numbers we're going to be paying attention to here in the, the last couple of weeks. And strike three this week, the uh, San Francisco Giants organization has uh, really, I don't even want to say quietly over the last few years, but somewhat loudly put together really nice international signings. Um, and one of their most recent big talents, Marco Luciano has moved up to the Salem-Kaiser Volcanoes after a fantastic start to this year with the AZL Giants orange, not to be confused with the AZL Giants black. Uh, there he uh, slashed 322-438-616 in 38 games. He's now up a Class A short season. He's 17 years old, young shortstop prospect in that organization. Uh, the Giants have really, really reined in some pretty impressive talent on the international market, and uh, Luciano is going to be a fun one to watch. He's currently the third-ranked prospect in that system. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him pop up even higher uh, you know, as time kind of goes along. Luciano feels like that next line of – I, I don't want to make this too easily because they're all different players and they all bring different skill sets. But 
you know, Vlad Jr. was the exciting young teenage prospect at a certain time. Last year became Wander Franco. This year, Franco really took the mantle from Vlad once Vlad graduated. Luciano seems set up to be that next guy behind Franco, that middle infield prospect, a guy who could stick to shortstop potentially. He's only 17 years old right now. Uh, which is absolutely incredible. And given all, you know, as you mentioned, all the things he's been able to do in the AZL to see him get this bump. You know, he was signed in July last year for, I think, $2 million and change. Uh, So not a small signing by any means. Um, The Giants knew what they were getting in him, somebody who could be above average with the hit tool, above above average with the power. But he's going to grow into this even more, Six foot two, 178 pounds. It'll be really interesting to see where the power can go because he had – 21 extra base hits in the AZL. 10 of those were already home runs. What happens when he matures more? Where is that power going to go? And what does that mean for the rest of his skill set? Uh, right now, he has about above average speed and he, he stole eight bases. But what happens when he you know gets a little bit bigger, fills out a little bit more? Is that speed going to go away? What does that mean? Uh, he's got a plus arm. He's got five tool potential. He just needs to show it. Um, but you know, the fact that the Giants sent him stateside this quick are already pushing him to the Northwest League. Uh, some some struggles early. He's only one for 11 with two strikeouts in his first three games. But everything else in the profile to see him get tested like this, no matter what he does the rest of the way, is just going to be gravy. Los Angeles Dodgers organization coming up next. DJ Peters joins us from AAA Oklahoma City on this week's episode of The Show Before the Show. We're heading to the Pacific Coast League on this week's episode of the show before the show, and there we find the 13th-ranked prospect in the Los Angeles Dodgers organization, DJ Peters, who joins us uh, from the AAA Oklahoma City Dodgers. DJ, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing well, guys. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for uh, for joining us. So this season for Oklahoma City went from uh, you know good and fun to start the year to being like absurd and and covered nightly on MILB.com. It feels like this season, like one through nine, the lineup every night, the pitchers that have come through that have graduated the big leagues. What has it been like being part of this Oklahoma City roster? You've been there for 40 games now in total, started the season with Tulsa, but the energy in Oklahoma City this season seems outrageous. Yeah, no, it's been it's been a lot of fun. It's been an absolute blessing to be a part of. Um, you know, like you said, line of one through nine, and even even you know, like the pitcher from time to time, uh, you know, can can uh, swing it a little bit. So you know, yeah, we have we had guys like Will Smith and Matt Beatty and Kyle Garlick and Edwin Rios who are all in the big leagues now and um, in the lineup as long as myself and you know Gavin Lux and. Uh, it's been it's been special for sure. Um, these past forty games um, have been you know really really fun, and you know we're just we're just looking forward to uh, ending uh, the year on a high note. Last season, uh, DJ spent 132 games with Tulsa. You go back there to start this year, and being back in the the Texas League, already having a season of experience under your belt. What do you think the biggest difference was in year two in that league versus year one, and what kind of enabled you to make the jump to AAA? You know, I think I think it was just being you know familiar with uh, you know like the league, um, the towns and cities we all you know go to, the ballparks and stuff like that. From you know a defensive standpoint and also an offensive standpoint. So um, I think it I think it was really good um, you know to you know spend uh, some time there and you know had a lot of fun. You know made a lot of really good relationships you know with you know teammates and you know players that. 
um, I played against. So really, really excited uh, to be here now, though, and, you know, play out in the PCL. Yeah, and one thing that kind of stood out to me, at least the way your season has gone so far, is you were always kind of a big power guy, but also a big strikeout guy. Last year, you struck out 34% of the time. This year, that's down a little bit from there. Uh, I know strikeouts aren't as big a deal in the modern game as they used to be, but what have you done this season to kind of adjust and uh, you know, kind of make more contact, make better advantage of the power you do have? You know, I definitely, definitely just uh, sticking with my plan, sticking with my um, approach on that, you know, splits on that, you know, pitcher I'm facing that night or, uh, you know, how, how my body's feeling, um, you know, kind of just listening to, you know, everything, our, you know, hitting coaches to our uh, development coaches and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I, I feel great. You know, a, a guy like me, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit – you know, for power, which is also going to come along with, you know, some uh, strikeouts here and there, um, which, you know, like you said, and, you know, today's game is, you know, kind of something that happens now, but um, definitely wanted to tackle that this year. And I feel like I have. And, and Tyler asked you before about, you know, going back to, to Tulsa and allowing yourself to jump to AAA. This year, the jump to AAA is like no other year because of the new ball and the way offense is interacting there. What did the Dodgers do to, to you, to, or, you know, to you, Gavin Lux, all those guys who have come up from Tulsa to prepare for the new environment at AAA. Obviously, it's nothing you've never you've ever seen before, but it's also something that a lot of people have never seen before in the way that offense is reacting there. What were you guys doing to prep to that jump to the PCL? You know, I think I think it was just us being uh, familiar with you know the guys up there, the hitting coach up there, all the coaches up there. Actually, you know, Travis Travis Barbary, we uh, who is our manager right now used to be our our catching coordinator so you know gavin and i both came up with him uh ever since we signed in uh, 2016 which i think you know really helps you know you feel uh like home and then also players that you know uh we played with you know the years before my best friend will smith um you know drew jackson mitchell white all those guys were up there who were in our draft class or guys that we played against like i said or with like i said so i feel like being being around people with you know familiar faces helps a lot um coming into a new you know team and you know the balls you know they are what they are and um definitely definitely helps out the hitter but um you know some some of these ballparks you play in um are either hitter friendly or pitcher friendly too so and and you kind of touched on it there there's just a load of talent that you guys have all come up together uh, and played at similar levels and uh, are all obviously either one step away from the majors or, or right there in the major leagues currently. Uh, what do you think about the the Dodgers' developmental philosophy or plan or what it, what has Los Angeles done for you guys to get you all in this moment you know, together and, and developing in the right ways to make you guys major leaguers what, what have you learned about that process specifically from the Dodgers these last couple of years? I think, you know, personally, I think, I think the Dodgers do it the best out of any other organization or even may, maybe in franchise in uh, all sports and, you know, developing players, developing the human being, developing the man first, 
Um, and then, you know, like the baseball player will follow. Obviously, we're all here because we have we have some some sort of talent, whether it's um, just a couple things or, or you know, all of them. So um, I think, you know, the Dodgers are really big on developing the man first, you know, growing as a person, as a teammate, and then they just let, you know, the baseball side take over the um, abilities, the skills, the talent, like I said. So I think, I think, I think that is the biggest separator between the Dodgers and, you know, other teams. Um, and then also then just letting us play, letting us, you know, be ourselves, um, letting us grow as players, as, as, you know, men. DJ, one of the other things, um, that's kind of a, a growth point on the baseball field. And you touched on this a little bit when Sam talked about getting that, uh, the bump from double A AA to triple A um, and with the, the strikeouts and all that type of stuff and, and working with your coaching staff, your walk numbers have been really, really good in triple A also in 68 games at double A this year, you walk 28 times. You're only at 40 games in triple A. You've walked 26 times um, to make that adjustment into, especially kind of know how triple A pitching staffs are going to be attacking you versus what you saw in double A. What do you attribute that to, you know, you're on base percent is up almost 100 points. Uh, OPS is up almost 300 points. Like being able to get on base, where does that come from at AAA? You know, I think it's, you know, like I said before, sticking, you know, with, with you know, my plan, sticking with my, you know, go zones, my, um, my attack that day and, you know, not um, expanding, which is going to happen some, from, you know, from a time to time, but you want to kind of minimize those, um, you know, chase numbers and, um, I think it's, you know, like I said, just, you know, buying in, buying into that, you know, um, plan and approach, sticking to it, you know, not, um, not, you know, giving into, you know, one pitch or in a bat or throwing away a pitch or throwing away in a bat. You've also got two stolen bases this year, and I'm going to need to know the stories on those. Give me give so, us the breakdown I mean, of the wheels. So, you know, I'm actually, I would consider fast. For, you know my size play you know center field I play a majority of center field yeah um and you know once I get going I'm pretty fast and you know you know stealing bases has never really been one of my one of my focal points um and I feel like every time I try I try to steal a base uh the hitter swings it hits it so which is which is a good <laughs> thing because that means we're getting hits we're scoring runs but um, you know, I feel like I feel like it'll be um, you know a part of my game that I you know work on a little more um, this off season. You know, because just you know want to want to get better in every aspect as I can. So um, we'll definitely be uh, working on that this off season, and uh, you know want to still a couple more back. Well, it's one of the things that kind of transitions perfectly to what I wanted to ask you about, which is your size. Your uh, MLB pipeline evaluation says, quote, compared to Jason Worth for his power and surprising athleticism in a big frame, which sounds almost like a little backhanded compliment, like, oh, surprisingly athletic. But to be a big dude, you're listed at 6'6", 225, to play so much center field, to be able to hit for power, you're kind of a unique prospect in in that build and how that asserts itself in your skill set. What, what assets do you think come from the fact that you are a bigger guy but you can still handle center field and you can do all these things that a lot of other guys who play that position can't you know i think it i think it adds um a ton of value um i think it i think it's you know a test to my um athleticism um and you know just how you know fast and good of an outfielder i am hopefully that i am you know i i i work really hard at it um definitely definitely you know people want to improve 
you know, in the box, but I want to improve just as much um, in, you know, the defensive side of it because you, it's 50% of your game. And, uh, you know, definitely, definitely um, take very much pride in that um, and want to um, get as good as I can at it and, you know, improve. And um, I love playing center field and I feel like, you know, I could play it at a very high level. And, you know, I feel like um, the Dodgers obviously believe in me playing, you know, center field. I play 90% of my games in center field this year. So um, I love it. And uh, let's jump even further back uh, in your, your career. You were not once, but twice a 36th round pick uh, coming out of high school in Glendora, California. You were a 36th round pick by the Cubs in 2014. The Rangers took you in the 36th round of the 2015 draft coming out of Western Nevada Junior College. And then the next year, you're still eligible because it's Juco. You jump to the fourth round and the Dodgers come calling. Dodgers, you being a SoCal guy, I'm sure that was somewhat special. But take us through that progression. You know, what allowed you in 2016 to show pro teams that obviously had some look at you that you were worthy of a you know top five round pick? You know, I think um, you know I I remembered that you know off season you know summer um, and season uh, you know I. I think it was the guys that I was around, um, my teammates, you know, over, over at Western Nevada were, you know, awesome. My coaching staff was awesome. Um, everything about it was just amazing. And, um, you know, my hitting coach down there, Demo was unbelievable. You know, him and I worked every day. I knew what I wanted to accomplish. I knew what I needed to work on. And, uh, you know, we, we did that. And, you know, Tom Kunis, um, the guy that, uh, drafted me, was an amazing human being. Um, he, you know, he believed in me right from the get-go. And, uh, you know, there was there was a lot of teams who, you know, liked me. I did that. And uh, the Dodgers Dodgers called my name first. And, you know, obviously, obviously it being the Dodgers growing up, a Dodgers fan, um, was really, really special. But, you know, to be, to be picked in the, you know, MLB draft is, you know, special right off the bat. And uh, was picked high enough to where you know I signed, and um, I've loved it ever since. And, and you mentioned being a Dodgers fan. So when you were growing up, you know, playing in the street, playing in the backyards, playing in the fields, whatever. Uh, who were you envisioning yourself as? What, who were some of the Dodgers you were looking up to growing up? Uh, you know, Matt Kemp, uh, Russ Mar. I have been around, um, played. Play, have, have actually played on the same field as them. Matt Kemp last year at spring training, uh, Russ Martin this year. And, you know, like Sean Green was my favorite player growing up. Um, Nomar, you know, you you can name it, right? And uh, it's special knowing that, you know, I get to, you know, play with, which kind of sounds weird, or um, against in the, you know, near future. So um, it's special for sure. And, you know, it's something that um, I cherish uh, greatly. And it's something that I don't take for granted. Yeah. And when you are one step away, we ask this of, of AAA guys all the time, you know, do you feel it? Do you taste it yet? Cause you are one call away at this point. Um, but being, you know, a California guy, I'm sure you were envisioning this when you were five years old and now it's even closer. What do you envision that moment being like, you know, getting that first time stepping into the box at Dodger stadium, whether that's this year, next year, whenever, um, 
you know, what is that moment going to be like, do you think? You know, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be very special. I think it's going to be an absolute blessing first and foremost. And I think, you know, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of emotion, you know, I'll, I'll have, you know, my entire family there. And I think, I think it'll be something that, you know, I will, I will never forget, obviously. Um, but, you know, I think it's going to be, um, a test to everything that I've done. And, you know, like you said, three, six round pick twice, um, you know, definitely, definitely wasn't happy about it, but, um, you know, everything happens for a reason. And, um, I'm very grateful, very happy that it didn't work out before because, you know, I love the situation that I'm at now and um, absolutely love it here. And, you know, the Dodgers is, you know, like I said, one of the best organizations in all in all sports. So, um, yeah, you know, I think it's going to be, be, uh, be amazing. All right, DJ, last thing for you. Uh, we got to end on this question. You gained uh, some early acclaim in your career for having some of the best flow, not just in minor league baseball, but like in all of baseball. The hair, the DJ Peters hair was as good as I think, uh, you know, any uh, any long hair in maybe sports. And it's gone now. You're, you're a freshly clean cut and your headshot from Oklahoma City, very straight on and, and business like what happened with the flow? What was the deal there? You know, I think it was just time. Um, it was time for for a change, and um, you know, I absolutely love it. You know, playing out in Oklahoma. I don't know if you guys have ever been out here, but um, it's not the uh, coolest. Uh, so, um, you know, you know, my hair, my hair goes super fast. I mean, I feel like I have to get a haircut every other week. But um, you know, it 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 will come back at some point. Um, but you know, as of as of right now, um, I'm I'm enjoying the uh, clean cut business look. That's the nice thing is you can still get it back at some point relatively quickly if it grows that fast. And believe me, on behalf of guys uh, who don't have good hair, never have had good hair, and certainly don't have hair that grows that fast anymore, please, uh, you know, just live that life, man. Embrace it because <laughs> the rest of us are so jealous. <laughs> That's awesome. DJ Peters, who you can find uh, with the Oklahoma City Dodgers, of course, as we enter the the final few weeks now of the minor league regular season, which is insane. You can also find DJ on Twitter at 8Peters. And uh, DJ, thanks so much for the time, man. We really appreciate it. And best luck the rest of the way in OKC. Awesome, guys. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, God bless you guys, and uh, take care, all right? Benjamin Hill joins the show uh, to discuss a whole raft of events and topics and news and things. Hi, Ben. Hello, Tyler, and hello, Sam Dykstra, sitting to my left on a rainy afternoon here in New York City. Ah, I did not, uh, I didn't realize that. Um, By the way, can it be a raft of events? Is it a rash? Are those both accepted terms? Sam, you're a wordsmith. Uh, I've never heard raft. Uh, that's an interesting one. I, I I appreciate the visual more on that one than a rash of events. I will say that. You know, yeah, it's, just uh, picture a raft full, filled with conversation tops. I honestly topics. Uh, I I in zero way, in zero way did this, but I'm now very proud for the way that it is coming out. Our first topic today is about a San Diego Padres prospect named Lake Bacher. And aside from the fact that his first name is Lake, he also attended Wisconsin Whitewater. 
And I just referred to this as a raft of topics. This is, oh man, what kind of craziness. I don't think raft is a term that refers to any of this. I think I just made it up. It can start with you, Tyler. We'll it is now. That. It Why is not? Now. Let's make it happen. Um, but this is a really cool story. This is the come out of uh, Amarillo, and Ben obviously was on the road uh, in Amarillo. Got a chance to check out Hodgetown, the home of the Amarillo Sod Pools and Poodles, a new AA affiliate uh, of the San Diego Padres this year. And uh, Lake Bacher, who is a, uh, a pitcher on that squad, and um, this season is actually been between Lake Elsinore where he made one appearance and then 21 appearances um, 17 starts so far for AA Amarillo has had a really good season uh, but also has some things going on that are outside of baseball in the 2016 fifth round Padre selection he and his team uh, are kind of joining forces in helping support Lake's father who is currently in a fight with cancer tell us about this story yeah, this is a story that will be up on the site you know, today, same day this podcast drops, um, previewing this promotion um, this night in Amarillo, which is taking place on Saturday, August 17th, uh, Bakker Strong Night. Um, you know, Tyler, as you mentioned, Lake's father, David, uh, was diagnosed with cancer in uh, January 2018. And, um, you know, he and his father are very close and, you know, cancer always hits hard, you know, no matter what the circumstances. So, um you know, as he is, you know, working his way up the minor league, minor league ladder, he's also, you know, dealing off the field with this really heavy stuff with his father battling cancer. He's currently undergoing his 32nd round of chemotherapy, Mm. um, you know, in less than two years time and and roughly a year and a half. And, um, so basically what happened is, um, you know, he doesn't, you know, go around talking all the time about his father being sick, but of course, you know, he's open about it. And of course his teammates know, and, you know, word spread to the Amarillo front office who basically had the idea like, Hey, if you are cool with this, and this was just several weeks ago, I talked to uh, the Sad Poodles president, Tony Enzor yesterday. And I also talked to Lake as well. Um, you know, just a couple weeks ago, uh, Tony Enzor approached Lake and said, Hey, if you're cool with this, you know, we'd really like to get involved with this, help you out, uh, raise awareness, raise some money, uh, you know, to help with your father's expenses. And so this came together really quickly. This Saturday is Bacher Strong Night at the ballpark. So the team is actually wearing um, throwback style Sod Poodles jerseys. You know, they're Padres affiliates, so they're kind of in the Padres throwback style. And uh, on the back they say um, – Oh, man, I'm forgetting what they say. It's right there. No one fights alone. On the back of the jersey, it says no one fights alone, and that's a motto uh, in the Bacher family You know that they really adopted after after uh, Lake's father was diagnosed. No one fights alone. So the Sod Poodles are saying, you know, we hear that, and uh, that is definitely the case. No one fights alone. So we are wearing the Bacher Strong uh, jerseys at the at during the game uh the, the jerseys will be auctioned off with you know all the proce- proceeds going to the bacher family uh the parents san diego padres have donated a, a raft of memorabilia um you know eric Hosmer, uh sean green uh you know various icons and uh, current players from the padres uh, have signed uh have, have contributed things that will be auctioned off to raise money and uh so it's a pretty cool thing happened at the ballpark a you know, full-blown theme jersey promotion um, in support of a player who's going through a, uh, you know, something very difficult you know, involving his family and supporting, um, you know, the fight that uh, David Bacher, his father, is going through against cancer. And so how exactly did this develop? I know you said, like, the team caught wind of it, but how quickly did they put this together? You know, 
did they need his permission or did they just say, hey, we have chosen August 17th. That's going to be Bacher Strong Night. We're doing this for you. Um, you know, how, well, they, how does the collaboration come around? It only happened about three weeks ago. But yes, it all started with the team approaching Lake and saying, would you be okay if we're going to do this? Obviously, uh, when you're dealing with something of that nature, there's no you know right or wrong way to go about it. But people have their own personal preferences. Well, whether they want to be out there in the public eye and, and maybe feel stronger as being part of a community um, and, and getting the word out. You know, other people might just want to say, like, you know, the rest of my life is a, um, a distraction from that thing I'm going through. And I don't really want it to become a part of my story uh, when I'm not dealing with it. Uh, you know, Lake took the approach that, you know, hey, I want to do anything I can to to support my dad, and I want to raise money and awareness. Uh, you know, not just for their own medical expenses, but raise awareness with what he's what he's going through. Uh, his cancer, Lake told me, um, his father's cancer started in the esophagus and spread from there. So esopho esophageal cancer. Um, but yeah, it all it all starts with Lake being on board. Um, but you know, we've seen. A lot of you know charitable things happen in the minor leagues. We just had our colleague, you know, Michael Avalon, write a story about a somewhat similar effort within the Mets organization. Um, you know, supporting a, a a player's daughter who has cancer. So we see this thing, you know, more and more. Uh, but I can't think of one where there's been kind of like a theme jersey, you know, around a player on the team supporting that player's family member. I, I think that's a, a new one. Ben, last week we talked a little bit about, even though we're coming out of the end of the season, you've got a uh, trip planned and promised us some more details, and you were headed back to the um, kind of DMV area, as they call it. But Potomac and Hagerstown are coming up for you. Yeah, you know, I wanted to get on the road one more time. I already hit all three new ballparks this year. Um, hit you know, a bunch of other parks, you know, in conjunction with those new ballpark visits, you know, took a jaunt last month up to Syracuse and Auburn. And I uh, wanted to get out there one more time and decided, uh, you know, maybe not go too crazy ambitious with it, you know, but still get out there on the road. So I decided, hey, why not Potomac, um, Potomac and Hagerstown? Um, you know, the motivation for that is Potomac, you know, the Nationals, they have played at the Fitz, uh, Fitzner Stadium. Uh, you know, for over three decades, there have been plans in the works to replace that stadium for a long time. It's finally happening now. They're moving to Fredericksburg next year. Uh, I know the construction timeline is a little, uh, it's very accelerated right now. So, you know, you never know for sure if this will really be their last games at the Fitz, but I'm going to treat it like that. It's certainly the last like regular season finale. And for all intents and purposes, this is the end of an era at that ballpark. So I will be there for their penultimate and final games at the Fitz, August uh, 28th and 29th. And then from there, making the relatively short drive to Hagerstown and spending two nights there, uh, August 30th and 31st. And you know, the motivation for Hagerstown for me was that you know I've been to every active affiliated minor league ballpark, um, and those travels started in 2010. And Hagerstown, I visited in 2010 and have not visited since. So, in terms of teams, I was just way overdue to visit. Uh, Hagerstown was very high on that list. So I figured, hey, I'll see the last couple games at the Fitz uh, with the Potomac Nationals, and then make a an almost decade in the making return visit to Hagerstown, and uh, two nights at each. I'm, you know, planning on getting some good material from that, and that'll uh, tide me over into uh, well into the month of September. And kind of two pronged along those directions uh, with the fits. What are you looking forward to when you know 
a stadium is closing. I mean, you, you can't really write about it for the fan to be like, hey, when you come here, go to this concourse, whatever. I remember you did a story a couple of years ago on New Britain. You were at the last game there. Uh, and then for Hagerstown, what is on your list to, to see, you know, nine years later now, what do you expect to have changed in the Sun Stadium? Yeah, I mean, well, with the fits, um, you know, I, I do think that lends itself to a pretty natural story where, you know, I'll certainly talk to the team's, you know, front office about, you know, their thoughts uh, operationally on moving, but also being like, okay, um, you know, who are some, you know, help me help point me towards some people, uh, the longtime fans and the people who really made this, you know, gave this uh, stadium its own personality through the years and or, you know, longtime game day employees, that kind of thing. You just want to, you know, kind of create a little <clears throat> like a series of vignettes uh, giving the overall um you know, just telling the overall story of what it's like to say goodbye to a place. Because, you know, as we all know, it's one thing to follow this world and just be like, oh, God, that stadium is, you know, is a dump. They need to replace it and, like, good riddance and all that. But no matter how, you know, out of favor a stadium falls or no matter how dilapidated it gets, no matter how many waivers or exemptions are granted for it to still host affiliated minor league baseball – you know, it's still an important place for a lot of people. You know, it's where childhoods are spent, uh, where first jobs were had, you know, where friendships were made and on and on. It sounds corny, but it's true. So I just kind of want to tell that story, what the what that place has meant to people, because once it's gone, it's gone. And Hagerstown, you know, that's like an 80-year-old ballpark, something like that. That ballpark has been around forever. Um, you know, there have been plans in the works for years for the Suns to leave. They're still there, and they will be there for the foreseeable future. One of Hagerstown's new ballpark plans was maybe to move to Fredericksburg, where Potomac is moving. You know, that fell through a couple of years ago, but Fredericksburg is getting a team now uh, with Potomac. Hagerstown, you'd think long term, um, this is not a ballpark that's long for this world, but it's been in this world a long time and still host it so you know i'm just looking to go there and almost like i'd never been before and just uh be like what's this place like in the year 2019 and uh, talk to some people and hopefully get pointed in the direction of the uh, local eccentrics and uh, local diehards and uh, you know the goofballs and the eccentrics and everything else that makes minor league baseball great i'll be on the lookout all that is coming up. You can uh, follow everything Ben at MILB.com slash Ben's Biz. And Ben is on Twitter as well at Ben's Biz. And uh, enjoy the trip, man. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you next week. Yeah, sounds good. Can I ask you guys for a piece of advice really quickly? Certainly. Uh, tomorrow, my, my softball team uh, has made it to the playoffs. And tomorrow is the semifinals game. And then if we win, it's followed immediately by the finals game. Anyhow, I bought tickets to see John Fogarty at Radio City Music Hall mm. like five, six months ago. And I just bought one ticket because I didn't want to do that thing where you buy four tickets and then you're like, wait, who's going to this? And you lose a lot of money. I just bought one ticket for myself on the aisle. But, you know, I'm a big CCR fan. We've talked about that before. Never seen John Fogarty live in any context. And so I want to see him. But now I have a softball championship game to go to. What should I do? Ooh. I would – Put it on StubHub and set it at a price that you would be like, this is what it would take for me to get to get out of my softball game. And if it doesn't sell for that by two hours before first pitch, take it off of StubHub and go to the concert. Yeah, that's good. Sensible advice. Yeah. Let me let me ask you this. What time are each of these things? Like conceivably, if you go play in the semifinal game and you lose <laughs> and you, you still blow make it. the show. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like you yeah. can you can have like a deliberate Buckner moment where like it's ground ball toward you and you're like, oh, I gotta make this show in twenty minutes, just let it go, let the game winning run score. 
Yeah, sorry guys, and then run from the <laughs> softball field. Radio City. Is yeah, it's a Radio City. Which actually, yeah, this game's uh, at DeWitt Clinton Field, which is like 52nd and 11th, so maybe I could just run to Radio City all sweaty and disheveled after <laughs> destroying a season and uh, catch the encore. <laughs> Sounds pretty good, actually. I think I think we have the classic conundrum now. Do you want to hear Foger, or do you want to play center field? Oh! Oh! <laughs> Oh my God! Sam may have just topped every Sam Dykstra joke, and I did not know that was possible. That was impressive. Uh, yeah, I've got nothing to say. You nailed it. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. Good luck with your decision. Thanks, guys. Thanks for your advice and support. Wrapping up the 222nd episode of the show before the show podcast from MILB.com, MILB.TV, the final few weeks of the regular season. we got playoff races. we got record chases. We've got all kinds of stuff. Sam, what are you watching? Yeah, so uh, starting Thursday tonight when this podcast drops, uh, the Round Rock Express and the Oklahoma City Dodgers featuring DJ Peters, our guest this week, uh, will be starting a four-game set in Round Rock. Uh, that'll be really cool to watch because you're going to want to watch Gavin Lux as much as you can. You're going to want to watch DJ Peters after hearing him talk and seeing, you know, his six foot six frame on the screen. Hopefully he can get a stolen base over the weekend after uh, answering Tyler's questions. Hopefully they don't try to do a hit and run on him again. Um, but also <laughs> Kyle Tucker, who we mentioned in the first segment going for the Bauman home run award. Uh, he's really turned it on lately. He's had a couple games in which he's uh, I think he hit two homers in a game this past week as well. Um, he's going to be going for that, trying to also push for you know an Astros call-up at some point in September. Um, so lots to watch when, whenever Oklahoma City is going to face Round Rock. But the, those are just some of the people you should be watching in that game set. Pick a game, any game, uh, over the, between Thursday and Sunday, and I think you'll find a winner in there somewhere. Uh, Tyler, where you got your eye on? Yeah, I am watching the uh, Oakland Athletics organization, at least for one element of this um, for this week. Uh, Jesus Luzardo is the top prospect in that system. Last time out in his latest outing uh, on rehab, this time with the Class A advanced Stockton Ports, he struck out seven over three innings in that game, and I believe was perfect for those three innings um yeah retired the only nine guys that he faced and struck out seven of them which is pretty good um the uh nope nope i lied he faced 10 batters i apologize gave up no hits no walks uh but he did face one extra beyond the minimum but hazel suzardo will start on saturday or on thursday rather for the Las Vegas Aviators. So when you're listening to this, he'll be starting uh, that night for the Aviators. Um, one other uh, AAA lineup that uh, I think right now deserves mention, the Charlotte Knights in the Chicago White Sox organization. Luis Robert, we know what he's done all season long. Uh, Nick Madrigal has really started to come on in that system as well. He had four hits last night uh, for AAA Charlotte. That team is at home this week taking on the scranton Wilkesbury Rail Riders until Thursday. Then they start a series with the Columbus Clippers on Friday. That game is a day game. It's a 105 afternoon game uh, at home in Charlotte. So if you're looking for something on a Friday afternoon to do that is not work, you can watch MILB.TV, and we promise we won't tell your boss. Or, you know, if you're one of our bosses, that's what we're doing anyway. Right, exactly. It's a it's work thing. Yeah, that is work for us. Because we're supposed to. Um, so all that stuff you can find at MILB.com and at MILB.TV. And uh, that'll do it for this week's episode. Again, you can find DJ Peters on Twitter. He is at 8Peters. And if you're around the Pacific Coast League uh, and you've got a chance to catch Oklahoma City sometime soon, do it because that team is a whole lot of fun. And uh, for Sam Dykstra, I'm Tyler Mon. We'll talk to you next week. 
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.